What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Welcome to Right and Wrong. This is the show where we try to wake up the woke by talking common sense about the issues of the day. I'm your host, Brian Ruka, and with me as always over there is the King of Drops, Producer Juice. He's known out there as the Truth Box because he loves to speak the truth all day, every day. Truth Box, what do you have to say to all the people out there in the Right and Wrong audience this week, my man? How many of you remember the good old days? The good old days when boys were boys and girls were girls and you could tell the difference. Just by fucking looking. The good old days when school started the morning with the national anthem and the Lord's Prayer. Where there was a boy's bathroom and a girl's bathroom. And there was no such thing as a fucking litter box in the corner. Those were the days when men had core values. Because we knew it was our inherent duty to stand up for the ladies and the children. That was our fucking duty. That's when men knew what honor and integrity and loyalty and fortitude were. Those were the days when if you weren't feeling like you could make it amongst men, you had to try a little fucking harder. You didn't get to go out and join the other fucking team, crack women's skulls and break all kinds of fucking records. Un- believable what's happening in front of us right now. But now you're going after the kids. All of this bullshit got to stop. And it's up to the men in this country to take a stand, to grab some balls, and stand up for what's right. Remember what your inherent duty is. And we as men who know who the we are in this world and in this life, we better take a fucking stand because it's our grandkids that are going to fucking suffer if we don't. I love each and every one of you. And I strongly fucking believe that every person in this world has the right to live the life they want. But you do it behind closed fucking doors and you don't get to include the fucking kids in it anymore. Absolutely. Always well done. Always well said. Keep up the good work, buddy. Well, we have a lot to get to on today's show, but before we preview what's to come, I would like to ask you all to please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to us. Give us a big like, a five-star review. All that stuff really helps, so please, please, please hook us up with that and tell a friend if you don't mind. On today's show, we'll get to a story uh, about a surgery that was performed on a baby while the baby was still inside the mother's belly. It's an incredible story. Also, a 12-year-old Massachusetts boy stands up to a school committee on the topic of gender. I heard an acceptance speech by a famous Hollywood actor recently, and it made me think of another famous actor's acceptance speech. The difference between the two is pretty eye-opening. And in our Come On Men segment of the week, we'll play you a clip from a teacher that calls herself That Purple-Haired Teacher on TikTok as she prepares her classroom for the celebration of pride throughout the month of June. So without further ado, it's about that time in the show where we welcome in our good old friend, Mr. Ric Flair, because it is... Showtime, baby! Woo! 
Showtime! I ended up watching The Silence of the Lambs the other day for the first time in forever. First off, wow, what an awesome movie. It still holds up with the creepiness and the suspense. A little over the top with that whole Lecter escape scene, but the movie is most certainly a classic. It's hard to not be intrigued by the Hannibal Lecter character throughout the film. Watching him is like getting mesmerized by the dancing and glowing of flames in a fire pit. It's easy to forget that the fire burns when you're peacefully staring at it. And it's also easy to forget that Hannibal Lecter murders and eats his victims when he's eloquently connecting the pieces of a puzzle that leads to the capture of another murderous psychopath. As I watched the movie, I found myself thinking about how Hollywood loves to glamorize horrible characters. Although it's been going on for years, I think the amount of villain protagonists that has skyrocketed over the past 20 to 30 years or so. Think about some of the most beloved characters over that time frame. Tony Soprano, the scumbag mob boss. Walter White, the scumbag meth dealer. Dexter, the lovable serial killer. Saul Goodman, the sleazy lawyer. Don Draper, the narcissistic ad exec. Logan Roy and the rest of his pitiful family. And you could go on and on and on. Seinfeld is my favorite show of all time, and those main characters are horrible people. My favorite movie is Goodfellas. Do I need to explain the level of wickedness that is highlighted throughout that one? So what happened? We went from Batman always defeating the Joker to giving the Joker his own movie. A movie where we gleefully watch a mental patient lose his mind and go on a murderous rampage. Oh, don't worry though. He wears clown makeup and dances down a huge set of stairs, so it's funny. It's just a movie anyways, who cares? Maybe the people who keep blaming guns for senseless mass shootings in this country should try paying attention to the forms of entertainment we regularly consume these days. If the movies from the 80s were made today, then Biff from Back to the Future would be getting his own side story. You'd be made to feel bad for him because his parents got divorced and his grandma beat him with a wooden spoon or something. The Goonies would be turned into a bunch of punk kids messing with a single mom who was stuck raising two knuckleheads and a physically deformed kid all by herself. And Indiana Jones would be rewritten as a white Western colonizer trying to remove religious freedom from the peaceful, heart-snatching guy in the Temple of Doom. Have you ever heard the phrase, politics is downstream of culture? I've heard it used often, and it's a saying that I believe is completely true. It more or less helps shape how I view most political issues. And it's the number one reason why I focus so much on the so-called culture war issues here on my show. The phrase is an an acknowledgement that what's accepted within the culture is going to affect political decisions, and what's accepted politically is also going to shape what's accepted within the culture. If you don't believe me, just think about the movie that I started out talking about. Silence of the Lambs came out in 1991. I've already established that they glamorize Hannibal Lecter, but don't forget that the film also features Buffalo Bill. The Buffalo Bill character kills women to remove their skin in order to sew together a new body for himself because he wishes he was a woman and not a man. He dances around in a half-finished skin at one point and tucks his penis between his own legs. I don't need to tell you how disturbing that is. Either you've already seen it and you know, or I just cursed you with that image. Either way, it's not a very flattering portrayal of the transgender community. Do you really think the culture today would allow that film to be made? Hell no! The trans activists would cause so much of a stink that no studio on the planet would even attempt to make that movie today. 
In fact, I actually read that the film did receive some minor pushback at the time of its release by members of the gay and trans communities, but their complaints went nowhere. And do you know why? Because they hadn't infiltrated our culture yet, that's why. Now, believe me, I'm not saying that Buffalo Bill character is a stand-in for all transgender people in the world. That's obviously not the case. But it's also pretty clear to me that someone that believes they were born into the wrong body and then attempts to mutilate themselves to fix that is suffering from severe mental illness. For years, the culture would use men dressed as women for laughs. Just go watch SNL for the first 30 years of its existence. Lay off me, I'm starving! It was funny because watching Chris Farley dressed as a woman, but continuing to act exactly like he's Chris Farley was hilarious. The culture thought that men dressing as women was something to mock and to laugh at. I'm here to tell you that it still is. But you know what? Slowly but surely, the culture chipped away at that idea until we've now gotten to the point where it can't be mocked and laughed at anymore. In fact, it should now be praised and celebrated. It should even, dare I say, be normalized when a man pretends to be a woman. And now, because of that cultural shift, we have the President of the United States of America working to draft legislation that will offer men pretending to be women the same equal protection that actual women receive under a constitutional amendment. Do I need to remind you again how politics and culture affect each other? At one point in the early 90s, it was considered racy because they showed Andy Sipowitz's ass on primetime TV. Before that time, the FCC would censor that kind of thing from being shown on network television. But the culture believed that the old standards were too stuffy, and they pressured the politicians to lower the standards for that sort of thing. The same thing with the type of language that was considered acceptable. It's not a surprise to me that as our culture continues to accept more deviant forms of entertainment, that our society continues to behave and conduct itself in a more deviant ways as well. This is a tale as old as time. I mean, does anyone remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah anymore? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why these culture war issues matter. In my mind, they are the most important issues that our country is facing today. If we don't have a shared set of fundamental values and beliefs, then we no longer have a shared country. And the thing that I've finally realized is that progressivism will never be satisfied. Their thirst will never be quenched. They have no real goals or vision. They only look to change and destroy the accepted norms. Progress for the sake of progress is dumb. Acceptance of stupidity is foolish. And the normalization of weird sexual fetishes is sickening. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. All right, my friends, let's move on to our rights and wrongs of the week. Let's jump right into things here. Topic number one for the day. It's going to be a brain surgery that was performed on a baby before she was actually born. So reading from the story here, headline comes from whdh.com quote boston doctors performed brain surgery on a baby before she was born and now she's thriving and then i'm going to read from the article here for you guys so you kind of see what we uh what we're talking about here 
So a team of doctors in Boston successfully performed a novel fetal surgery to treat a rare brain condition known as vein of gallon malformation. Although in utero surgery, which is performed before, before a baby is born, has been used for other conditions, this ultrasound-guided procedure was among the first for this condition. The condition occurs when the blood vessel that carries blood from the brain to the heart, also known as the vein of gallon, doesn't develop correctly. The malformation, known as VOGM, results in an overwhelming amount of blood stressing the vein and heart and can lead to a cascade of health problems. So in the story, they focus on the, this couple, Derek and Kenyatta Coleman, and this is going to be their fourth baby. They thought everything was pretty routine at this point, but Kenyatta received scary news at her 30-week ultrasound appointment. Something wasn't right with the baby's brain, and she was also suffering from an enlarged heart. After more investigation, there was a diagnosis, VOGM. But the Coleman's had learned about a clinical trial run by Brigham and Women's and Boston Children's Hospital that could provide treatment before their baby was born. Now, I don't know if I just said it or not, but they were a Baton Rouge couple. So they lived in Louisiana. They heard about this, um, you know, clinical trial that was being offered up here in Boston. Um, and, you know, they wanted to, to look into that. So back to the story. Kenyatta remembers being told about the possible risks, preterm labor or brain hemorrhaging for the fetus, but the Coleman's felt there was no other option for them, and they wanted to join the trial. On March 15th, exactly one month after the ultrasound that spotted the malformation, Kenyatta underwent surgery. And then in the article, it actually lists this as a sub-headline, a procedure with two patients. So the doctor in the story explained that they used a technique borrowed from previous in utero cardiac surgeries. Once the fetus is in the optimal position, it gets a small injection of medication so that it's not moving, and it also will be getting a small injection of medication for pain relief, the doctor said. From there, the doctors inserted a needle through the abdominal wall, carefully threading a catheter through the needle so that the tiny metal coils could fill up the vein, slow the blood flow, and reduce the pressure. The baby showed signs of improvement immediately, with scans showing decreased blood pressure in key areas. There's a really important line in there that I want to circle back to like Saki when I finish, you know, wrapping up the, the meat and bones with this story here, but I'll continue first. So on March 17th, Denver Coleman was born weighing four pounds and one ounce. The mother says, I heard her cry for the first time, and that just, I can't even put into words how I felt at that moment. Now, nearly two months after Denver was born, she continues to thrive, spending most of her time sleeping and eating. She's not taking any medications for heart failure, and her neurological exam is normal. There's no indication that she needs any additional interventions. She's shown us from the very beginning that she was a fighter, Kenyatta said. She's demonstrated hey, I want to be here. Wow. Right? I mean, what an incredible story. That one just, it really stood out. My wife noticed it, um, shared the link with me. And I remember reading the article just being like, oh my goodness, this is insane. It's incredible the type of stuff that, that we can do uh, medically with the type of technology we have these days. And I'm glad this fa family was able to take advantage of that in, in, Best of all, get a healthy baby into this world. That's incredible. Um, now, what I wanted to circle back to 
it, uh, are two things. One, that sub headline that I pointed out about a procedure with two patients. So that one stands out to me because obviously the pro-abortion activists always want to talk about my body, my choice, and don't tell me what I can do with my own body. And then this story here, it's a great story about saving a preborn baby, saving a baby that's inside her mother's belly, and it's calling it a procedure with two patients. And then the other line in there that really stood out to me, and this is probably like, you know, aside from just this being a miracle and, and a, a great thing to highlight, this is really like like what caught my attention as far as wanting to talk about it here on the show. And it's that line by the doctor when he's explaining the procedure. And it says, I'll go back to what it says here. Once the fetus is in the optimal position, it gets a small injection of medication so that it's not moving. And it is also getting a small injection of medication for pain relief. Think about that. They're performing an operation on this fetus, this baby inside its mother's belly, and they're giving it an injection to keep it still so they can perform the surgery. And they're also giving the baby an injection for pain relief. Why would they need to give a baby inside of her mother's belly an injection for pain relief? Because that baby can feel pain. Do they tell you that at the abortion clinic? Do the pro-abortion activists ever want to talk about the pain that a baby feels from being injected with something to kill it while it's still inside its mother's belly? Do they talk about that at all? Why would a baby whose mother is 30 weeks pregnant with her need an injection for pain relief when they're about to perform a surgery on her? It's because that baby can feel the pain. And again, I know it's an issue that a lot of people have trouble with that people don't like to talk about, but that's one of the reasons why we don't like to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. It makes you realize things. It makes you kind of, you know, adjust in your seat, makes your stomach turn a little bit. When you think about all of the abortions that are done in this country and across the world and what's happening to these babies and think about the legislation that's trying to be passed throughout state after state right now, these, these Democratic-controlled states, where they want to allow abortion up to the moment of birth. This is a baby at 30 weeks that performed surgery on her, and she was born, you know, four pounds, one ounce. That's tiny, but she was alive, and she's healthy now. That quote at the end, the mother saying that the baby said, hey, I want to be here. And what baby wouldn't want to be here? It's their selfish mother, their selfish father, the selfish society that decides that that mother or father doesn't want the baby to be here. But that baby's always going to want to be here. Why wouldn't they? Any life is going to want to fight to survive. But because we don't see it, because it's done in, in the comforts of a doctor's office, we don't think about it that way. But... Just an amazing story. Tip your cap to the people at Brigham and Women's Hospital there, being able to to do these types of surgeries and successful successfully complete them. Uh, it, it's amazing, and I'm glad we we have technology that can help like that. But it just I can't help but think of 
the type of people that have that skill, that that knowledge, the ability, and they use it to destroy lives. They use it to to end newborn, preborn lives. They use it to terminate pregnancies, not to save them and not to save their children. And we support that. This country supports that. And it, it just, again, it makes me sick to my stomach. And I'm sorry, I, I've come a long way when it comes to how I feel about abortion. I know I've kind of been open about, you know, my own personal situation, how I, you know, handled me and my wife handled um, a pregnancy before being married. And I've told you before, it never, the thought never crossed my mind. And I've always before more recently used to say like, Oh, you know what? I would never have an abortion. I would never support having an abortion. Um, but who am I to tell you what to do? Until I thought about it more, and a story like this should help, you know, make you think about it a little bit more too, and and kind of put it into perspective. Uh, that line just I, I can't forget about that. Why would you have to give medication to the baby inside the mother's belly if that baby didn't feel pain? Why would you need to give it pain relieving medicine after knowing that, after hearing that? How can you go back to supporting someone doing that to a child inside their belly? I I don't know how you could. So hopefully, you know, let that sit a little bit. Think about it because it's important and we need more people to kind of have that click inside their minds. And hopefully, you know, we can continue to move forward in the pro-life movement. Next. A truly great job. All right. This one here is uh, going to be topic number two. And it pretty much just lets us know that this gender debate continues to rage on. It's not going away. Uh, I feel like I talk about it every week now at this point, but this stuff just continues to pop up. Um, so we have to keep talking about it. So for this uh, segment, I'd like to highlight a young man named Liam Morrison, who is a seventh grade student from Nicholas Middle School in Middleborough, Massachusetts. The video of Lamb addressing his school, his local school committee has been all over the place the past week, and rightfully so. So you guys have probably already seen this one, um, but if you haven't, why don't you uh, take a listen to what Lamb had to say. Juice? Hello. Good evening. My name is Liam Morrison. I live at 519 Wareham Street. I'm in the 7th, 10th grade at Nichols Middle School. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. I never thought that the shirt I wore to school on March 21st would lead me to speak with you today. On that Tuesday morning, I was taken out of gym class to sit down with two adults for what turned out to be a very uncomfortable talk. I was told that people were complaining about the words on my shirt, that my shirt was making some students feel unsafe. Yes, words on a shirt made people feel unsafe. They told me that I wasn't in trouble, but it sure felt like I was. I told I was told that I would need to remove my shirt before I could return to class. When I nicely told them that I didn't want to do that, they called my father. Thankfully, my dad supported my decisions and came to pick me up. What did my shirt say? Five simple words. There are only two genders. Nothing harmful, nothing threatening. Just a statement I believe to be a fact. I have been told that my shirt was targeting a protected class. Who is this protected class? Are their feelings more important than my rights? I don't complain when I see pride flags and diversity posters hung throughout the school. Do you know why? Because others have a right to their beliefs just as I do. 
Not one person, staff, or student told me that they were bothered by what I was wearing. Actually, just the opposite. Several kids told me that they supported my actions and that they wanted one too. I experienced... Wait, no. I was told that the shirt was a disruption to learning. No one got up and stormed out of class. No one burst into tears. I'm sure I would have noticed if they had. I experienced disruptions to my learning every day. Kids acting out in class are a disruption, yet nothing is done. Why do the rules apply to one, yet not another? I feel like these adults were telling me that it wasn't okay for me to have an opposing view. Their arguments were weak, in my opinion. I didn't go to school that day to hurt feelings or cause trouble. I have learned a lot from this experience. I learned that a lot of other students share my view. I learned that adults don't always do the right thing or make the right decisions. I know that I have a right to wear those five, a shirt with those five words. Even at 12 years old, I have my own political opinions, and I have a right to express those opinions. Even at school, this right is called the First Amendment to the Constitution. My hope in being here tonight is to bring the school committee's attention to this issue. I hope that you will speak up for the rest of us so we can express ourselves without being pulled out of class. Next time, it may not only be me. There might be more students that decide to speak out. Thank you for your time and good night. Great job, Liam. Love that. Love the video. And again, I'm sure you guys saw that one circulating. Um, we're a little bit behind this week because of the because uh, of the week off we took there. So we're catching up on some stuff that happened, you know, last week. But um, Liam was all over the place, and he should be. It's a great, great job, and uh, and very well said when he addressed his school committee. Now, the point that I would like to make when it comes to this stuff is if Liam is not allowed to wear a shirt like that and the school does want to say like, you know, whatever, we, we don't, we don't want political statements in school, blah, 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 whatever they're going to try to try to do to, to not allow him to wear something like that. Are those same rules going to be enforced on people that wear pride shirts? Are they going to be enforced on people that wear BLM shirts? I mean, I think we know the answer. No. I mean, how many times has this kid probably had to see something pride related, not only on another kid's shirt or something, but maybe in his own classroom? Do the teachers have have pride flags that they hang within the in the class or artwork that's posted on on spots on the wall in their classrooms? Because that happens. That's all over the place in these schools. And it's frustrating that they try to apply standards to one side, but not the other. And it really aggravates me that they try to hide behind, like, pride not being political. BLM's not political. Yes, it is. Of course it is. But they're going to try to say it's not. Yet, there are only two genders. They'll label that political. So, I'm not even against telling people they can't wear certain shirts and stuff in public schools. I, If you ask me, I think they should be in uniforms. But maybe that's the Catholic school education of mine speaking. I had to wear slacks and uh and a dress shirt and tie and they they did relax it a little bit at one point but it had to be school you know polo shirts you know with the school's name on it um so i'm okay with something like that but if you're going to allow these kids to dress how they want to dress and and wear whatever you can't police one side of the political you know battleground and not the other you have to have the same set of rules both ways and it made me think of another story that I that I read recently about, um, you know, there's a group of people that are suing their school now because they weren't allowed to wear Let's Go Brandon shirts within within their school. 
And again, those are like, yeah, that's a political shirt. Let's go, Brandon. We all know what it means. But again, what else is being allowed to be worn in those schools? You can't say you can't wear the let's go, Brandon shirt, but you can wear the pride shirt. You can't. It's just not right. So I hope that that you know, lawsuit clears that up. I'd support them winning that one and hopefully they can. And then again, it'd be easier for these schools to deal with stuff too. If they just, you know what, it's going to be a uniform. When my, my kid at his Boston public school and her, both of them went there. Um, but they had to wear like khaki pants and just like a blue t-shirt, plain blue t-shirt. Uh, that's fine. Doesn't might not have to, you know, be super fancy, but make it easier on people. I'm cool with that. Uh, But as teachers and parents turn schools into political boot camps, we should expect more and more of this stuff happening. And that's why we have to just rule the same way for both sides or take it to the next step and just institute a standardized uniform. This also reminded me of another story, and it's along these same lines. It's not not a story, I guess, per se, but uh, have you guys heard of Vivek Ramaswamy yet? Now, he's a long-shot candidate for uh, president from the Republican side of things, and he's been making the rounds. Uh, you know, it's it, like all these social media things. If you happen to like one thing from somebody, then you start getting more and more of his material. So I'm definitely in a Vivek um, Ramaswamy Twitter, you know, algorithm, I guess, where I keep getting a lot of stuff. And he's been making the rounds, too. He's been traveling to, like, the key, you know, primary states trying to get his name out there, trying to fundraise, and, you know, keeps putting clips up on there. So I've been seeing a lot of his stuff recently. Love what he says. Uh, He's an Indian immigrant. His parents, you know, immigrated here, and he's first-generation American. Uh, And he's just well-spoken, well-educated. He's an entrepreneur who's made a lot of money for himself, living the American dream, basically. And he's around my age, uh, and he's, you know, running for president on the fact that, He's a great example of what the American dream is, and he's not a straight white male. You know, he's an immigrant who made something of himself here in this country, and that's what he supports. So uh, why don't we go to the clip that I that I found, and he was reacting to uh, how he kind of went at it with Chuck Todd recently and kind of, you know, put Todd in his place when it came to the gender nonsense and this clip that we have is is Vivek kind of responding to a question uh, that he was asked after the fact from that interview. So, Juice, you want to pull that one up for us? Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy joins us now. Oh, he, he brought some friends with him. Vivek, good to see you. Um, you know, there was quite a moment there, quite a, quite a thing to see Chuck Todd, you know, saying something that's so outrageous, would have been so outrageous just a few years ago. Yes. So, look, I think that Chuck Todd is emblematic of actually the modern view of the left, that there is no objective truth. But if you think about this, the sex of the person you're attracted to, they said for the longest time, is hardwired on the day you're born. Yet now they say your own gender is completely fluid over the course of your life. These two things can't make sense at the same time unless you're subscribing to a secular cult. That's what it is. And so you know what, they invoked the science. Well, I taught them the science. Two X chromosomes means you're a woman, and X and a Y means you're a man. That's a hard fact, and the beautiful thing about facts is that they overcome these toxic ideologies. Hell yes. Great point, though, Vivek. Awesome, awesome job on that. Uh, I love the point that he makes when he said, where's all the people that were that are born this way? 
when it comes to sexuality, you know, if you're attracted to somebody of the same sex as, as you, the Lady Gagas of the world will tell you, you're born that way. You don't have a choice. Yet, you're not born into the correct body. I thought you were born that way. What happened? What's going on there? And he makes the great point there about it just being a secular cult that these people are wrapped up in. And there is no, it doesn't make sense. Is If you try to make it make sense, you're going to twist yourself into a pretzel. And it's just ridiculous. And they don't have an answer for that stuff. So they just shout you down, call you a bigot, call you a homophobe, call you a transphobe or whatever else it may be. So I love that he, he kind of came up with that point to use. And I'm definitely going to adopt that one myself going forward. So thanks for the tip, Vivek. And good luck with the campaign. Uh, and now I, I mentioned he's someone who's kind of a long shot. And I would be pretty surprised if he actually earned the nomination. But what a hell of a VP that guy could be for someone, huh? What do you think about him on the DeSantis ticket? Imagine seeing him debate Kamala Harris. <laughs> he would rip her to shreds. It'd be awesome. All right. Let's move on to the next one, Juice. Next! When we're all in the grave, uh-huh. and some archaeologists come and dig us up, you're either going to be a man or you're going to be a woman. So I have to say two. 500 different languages, and he chose to speak facts. All right, moving on to this next topic. This will be the last one that we focus on today, but it is a celebrity versus celebrity clash of worldviews. That's the way I see this one. So I have two different acceptance speeches that I want to play for you guys. One, it's from Chris Pratt. And it's from the 2018 MTV Movie Awards. And the other is from Leonardo DiCaprio at the 2016 Academy Awards. So both clips, you know, a little bit older at this point. But um, I saw the Pratt one going around on, on the old TikTok machine. And I've never seen it before. I thought it was great. And it immediately made me think of Leo's uh, Oscars acceptance speech. So kind of pulled up both of them. And, uh, and just as I suspected, it was a clash of worldviews, as I mentioned. So, um, I'd love to kind of share that with you guys. Now, both of these guys are pretty famous. We all know, you know, Chris Pratt, the guardians of the galaxies movies. The third one just came out and was a box office smash hit. He did the voice of Mario, another smash hit that just came out, the animated version of the Super Mario Brothers movie. He's in the uh, Jurassic World franchise. He was in uh, Parks and Rec when he got his lead. So that's who that is. Leonardo DiCaprio, everybody knows him. Um, but like I said, I, I think they're both pretty high up there for uh, like male leads at this point in Hollywood. So listen to the message that Pratt delivered to an MTV audience in this clip from um, 2018. Juice, you want to pull that one up? All right. Um, this being the generation award, I'm going I'm to cut to the chase and I'm going to speak to you, the next generation, okay? I accept the responsibility as your elder, so listen up. This is what I call nine rules from Chris Pratt, generation award winner. Number one, breathe. If you don't, you'll suffocate. Number two, you have a soul. If you're strong, be a protector, and if you're smart, be a humble influencer. Strength and intelligence can be weapons, and do not wield them against the weak. Be of service, it feels good, and it's good for your soul. Number six, 
God is real. God loves you. God wants the best for you. Believe that. I do. Learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. And finally, number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be, but there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. God bless you. Please get home safely. Thank you. Wow. What a great message that was. He's talking about having a soul. Talking about using the influence you have to positively impact others. He's talking about God to a generation of kids and their parents who have abandoned God. Think about the kind of influence a guy like that has on the younger generation. And again, he's speaking at the MTV Movie Awards. That's a group of people consuming that, watching that, that I hate to typecast here, but don't really, don't think they're really all that interested in God. And that's the message he delivered to them. I think it was awesome. And I love what he says about, you're not perfect. You can't be, you won't be. In in the grace line that he's mentioning, it's so true. And then to reiterate the fact that we're in a position we are right now because of other people's blood, sweat, and tears being sacrificed and given for us to have the opportunities we have now. And to appreciate that. That's just it, just such a powerful message. I loved it. Now, the next clip, it's going to be from Leonardo DiCaprio back in 2016 after he won the Oscar for starring in The Revenant. Now, listen to the kind of message he's preaching about. Juice? And lastly, I just want to say this. Making The Revenant was about man's relationship to the natural world, a world that we collectively felt in 2015 as the hottest year in recorded history. Our production needed to move to the southern tip of this planet just to be able to find snow. Climate change is real. It is happening right now. It is the most urgent threat facing our entire species. And, and we need to work collectively together and stop procrastinating. We need to support leaders around the world who, who do not speak for the big polluters of the big corporations, but who speak for all of humanity, for the indigenous people of the world, for the billions and billions of underprivileged people who will be most affected by this, for our children's children, and for those people out there whose voices have been drowned out by the politics of greed. I thank you all for this amazing award tonight. Let us not take this planet for granted. I do not take tonight for granted. Thank you so very much. The reason I wanted to compare these two messages is because one, Pratt's happens to be delivered clearly and honestly. Pratt's speaking the truth and he knows he is. He's delivering his message in a basic to understand way. The other one, Leo's, is delivered in hyperbolic terms. His words are not simple and clear. They're the opposite. He talks about man's relationship to the natural world. We don't have a relationship to the natural world, Leo. We have a relationship to God. And we don't owe it to the world to be morally good and just. We owe it to God and to our fellow human beings. 
Leo claims that they had to shoot in the southern tip of this planet just to find snow. Has he ever traveled to New England in January? How about Fargo or Wisconsin or Canada? That's just a ridiculous claim. And you notice that he leaves out how he got to the southern tip. I bet he wasn't flying Spirit Airlines. It's interesting to me that he said, the most urgent threat facing our species. I'd love to know what his definition of urgent is. My whole argument here is that I'd consider the lack of belief in what Chris Pratt said is actually the most urgent threat facing our species today. Not the sun monster that Leo wants to scare you about. Leo also makes the point that we need to call on our elected officials and the camera just happens to find the VP at the time, Joe Biden, looking on in the crowd. Yep. President Unity there at the Oscars back in 2016, sitting in the crowd. The camera conveniently pans to him when Leo makes that comment. He goes on to say we need to fight climate change in order to protect our children and our children's children. Guys, this is a man who has no children. He's now 48 years old and he's a Peter Pan who can't grow up long enough to start his own family and trying to preach to us about how to care for future generations of our own families. You can't make this stuff up. A man who has no children. A man so immature that he's still dating 20-year-olds because he wants to be the big Hollywood hotshot with a beautiful, gorgeous girl who doesn't age on his arm. He continues to get old, but his girlfriends continue to stay the same age because he refuses to grow up. This is a topic I've been hitting a lot lately, but this is a now 48-year-old man-child. Talented actor. Possibly my, my favorite actor. Actually, love him as an actor. His movies are awesome. He does a great job. But don't tell me about caring for my children and my children's children. You don't have kids of your own, you jackass. Crazy to me. And you notice how we referred to them as our children. You see, he's part of that collective village that's ready to raise your kids for you. Remember the takes a village stuff from last week? He's part of that village. He wants to do what's best for our kids. Sorry, pal, they're not our kids. They're my kids. He's the perfect example of why the Democratic Party and the left wants to incentivize individualism. The left and the right both have religious views. The question to you is, what religion do you believe in? The religion of God, the religion of Chris Pratt, or the religion of secularism, the religion of Leonardo DiCaprio? And that'll do it on the rights and wrongs of the week this week. Thank you all so much for tuning in to those. Uh, stick with us in just a few more minutes. We're going to move on over to the come on, man, segment of the day and have ourselves a little bit of a chuckle. And uh, that will wrap things up. So I guess we're ready for that. Next. Nothing fills my soul more than to think that maybe some kid watching that would, would say, hey, I, I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about praying. Let, let, me, let me try that out, you know. So we've reached that point in the show where we get to uh, find a clip or find a video or something from somebody that does or says something so ridiculous, so absurd that even though we're going to make fun of them for a couple of minutes here, there's really nothing else we could say to them except, come on, man. And uh, that's how we got to this point here in the show. So who are we going to focus on this week? We got this woman here who calls herself that purple haired teacher. 
on uh, TikTok and Twitter and all those places, all over the interwebs. So we're about a month away from the most religious month on the left's liturgical calendar. That would be the month of June, which happens to be, you guessed it, Pride Month. This week, uh, the video that we're going to pull, like I mentioned, is from a teacher. Uh, Her real name is Jessica Ward, and she goes by the handle, That Purple Hair Teacher. She went viral the other day because the phenomenal account called Libs of TikTok shared a video of Jessica preparing her classroom for Pride Month. Apparently, this purple-haired teacher must have a countdown to Pride Month hung up in the teacher's lounge, the same way that the elves at Santa's workshop have a countdown to Christmas clock going on. (laughs) Well, that's just the way I picture it, I guess, at least. Maybe it's there, maybe it's not. I can't confirm or deny that. Well, let's just go to the clip. You guys can... Hear and see for yourself uh, the amount of joy and excitement that this woman has for her upcoming month of grooming. Juice? Getting ready to head out for the day, but before I do, let me just show everybody what we have for Pride Week. So our school's GSA. Um, we have an annual Pride Week, and next week kicks off our Pride Week. So uh, what we did last year, we are doing again this year, and we will be doing a coin war um, for donations towards the Trevor Project. And this year, kids get little prizes and things for donating. Okay, okay, hold on. I, I didn't even notice this the first time around when I found the clip. You hear the song that's playing? The Born This Way song by Gaga. Oh, I just talked about that uh, in, in that clip from Vivek. Yeah, you, if you were born that way, you were born gay. How can you be born into the wrong body? I don't know. I wonder what this lady would say about that. Um, for those that, that can't see, which is probably everybody since we're audio only, uh, if you haven't seen this actual clip, it just still boggles my mind that grown adults that want to be taken serious, want to be respected out there in the world today and society that we live in can have a, a real job, a grown-up job like being a teacher, molded young, molding young minds and sit there with purple hair. You're not in a clown show. You're a grown adult. You're not going through a phase when you're 16 years old and you you want to be a rebel and dye your hair purple. You look like a piece of cotton candy there with on, on the top of your head there. Purple hair. If if a teacher that that my kids had had purple hair like this, that would be the biggest red flag right off the bat for me. And what happened to professionalism? Come on, people. How unprofessional is that? All right, let's let her keep going. Juice, go ahead. So last year, the biggest hits that everyone wanted were just regular old pride flags. So they donate 50 cents and they get a pride flag. Um, or they also we also have pronoun pins. So we have different pins that they can get um, for donating as well. All right, all right, all right. Let's hold up there. Regular old pride flags? That looked like a pride flag that now has a transgender logo on it, too. <laughs> Come on. This lady that insensitive? She doesn't remember that the regular old, old pride flag only had the rainbow stuff? This one that she showed us on the camera here, for 50 cents, you're going to get a pride with a trans thing logo on it as well. Whew, false advertisement, my friend. I don't know about that. What about your gender pins? That lady should be wearing a gender pin or pin, pin that says groomer, creep, psycho. Um, come on. That's crazy. They want these kids to donate to get that type of stuff. Like, 
look at the indoctrination that's going on. <laughs> Nuts. All right, let, let's let her keep going. I'm sure she's going to make a good point at some point here. No, I don't know. If they donate up to a dollar, they can get a little bracelet. So we have two different types. We have love is love. And then we have ones that say pride. So I think those will be really big hit. And then lastly, we have these awesome little pride pins that they can get. I should have made that a longer video. I also want to show you our decorations. So we have a big old sign that says coin war. Um, and then we ordered for display, and I'm probably going to put it in my classroom, um, a pride flag that says everyone is welcome here. And then we have a flag banner with a whole variety of different flags. And then in addition to our stuff, um, our study halls are doing a um, door decorating contest. So they will decorate the outside of the doors, um, hopefully in theme with Pride Week. And so that was really fun last year because we got to walk up and down the hallways and all of our kids could see like all the different different doors and felt supported and all of that stuff. Um, and then we also have shirts that are coming that say y'all means all. Um, so yeah, I'm just super excited and I know our kids are super excited. I'm hopeful last year it was really successful. So I think with all of these fun little like gifts and things, it'll even be better this year. <laughs> this stuff, you can't make this stuff up. Shirts come in that say all is all, all means all. Like, come on. You walk around with those shirts, you hand those shirts out, you're, you're, discriminating against half the people in there at least all means all you want to try to go out of your way to make this tiny little subgroup of people feel comfortable and accepted and welcomed when instead you're just politicizing everything you're you're making everybody feel uncomfortable they got the, the she pulls out this flag it's it's the size of an american flag you'd be hanging from your house and everybody is welcome here i wouldn't feel so welcome there i'm a conservative I'm somebody who believes that what you do in your bedroom is between you and the person you're doing it with. This lady wants everybody to know what's going on. That's again, that's probably why she has the purple hair because it's a it's a, you know, indicator to the rest of the world that she's a crazy psycho lib. <laughs> um I don't get it and I don't get why people go along with this stuff. Well, I I'm I'm sorry. I do get it. Like we go along with it because it's easier to just roll your eyes, but at some point, again, we have to stand up to this stuff. This lady is psycho. I'm a believer in people that become teachers. You should have to pass a psychological examination. We want to put a cop through that. You're putting a cop out there with a loaded gun trying to patrol patrol the streets. They have to get psychological work done before they give them that authority and that power. Now, teachers aren't arming themselves with guns. But I would argue that they have just as much power in this world, in our culture, as a police officer does. They're in there indoctrinating children. They're grooming young minds, molding them into these little lib soldiers that they're going to grow into. This lady is psychotic. Again, huge smile on her face this entire time, showing the camera all these things. This is what we're doing in school for Pride Week. Woo! And we're going to walk up and down the halls and look at all the doors that are decorated and see who can be the most on theme with the pride theme. Like, come on. What are you going to, she's going to give extra points to anybody who puts a dildo on one of those doors. Like, what are we doing here? It's insane. That purple haired teacher. Crazy stuff, people.
So, and again, the lip, the libs of TikTok thing highlighted it with another reason to homeschool your children. And I wish I could do it. I, I wanted, I want to figure out how to do it, but I, I don't know. It, it just feels so overwhelming uh, that I just, my strategy is to just try to pay as much attention as I can to what these kids, my kids are being taught when they are in school and what they're coming home with. And, you know, to just talk about this stuff to them. Uh, I know it's not the greatest strategy because it could end up being an uphill battle, but as a parent, you feel lost and stuck in that type of stuff. Or, you know, you deny that it's even going on. That I will never do. I won't downplay that and think that, oh, it's not happening in my school. You know, that's how that that's how my journey began talking about this stuff here because I did kind of have that mindset until my son's fifth grade class was trying to teach him about a non-binary student coming out to their to their family and home at home um so it was going on in my own backyard but this stuff's nuts we have to pay attention to it you got to be on it and we have to point and laugh at people like this when they post videos to the internet gleefully celebrating their um need desire and want to talk to your children about gay sex that's what it is. So you, Miss Jessica Ward, the that purple-haired teacher, have earned yourself one big, fat, classic. Come on, man. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate all the support that you guys have given us on this uh, Right and Wrong show. Continue to spread it around for us. Give us a five-star review, a big thumbs up and a like, and uh, subscribe. So every time we post something new, you'll get a little uh, notification on your phone about it. Until next week, thanks for having me. The Right and Wrong Show is produced by Juice. Executive producer, Juice. Audio mixer is Juice. Hair by Skull Shavers. Wardrobe and makeup by Ashley Ruka. Right and Wrong Song created by Juice. The Right and Wrong Show is copyright 2022 from Brian Ruka.